Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2018. This is Jeff talking about Step 2. Hi everyone, my name's Jeff, I'm an alcoholic. Um, my home group is Mitcham Reflections and my sobriety date is November the 29th, 2006. Um, my drinking story is long and I won't bore you with it. Um, you know, I picked up a drink at 17 and I finally put it down at 52. Um, those 35 years consisted of me uh, on a headlong run from reality, basically. Um, I heard someone early on in, <coughs> excuse me, in, um, in a meeting saying that she had um, uh, a contempt for reality and it was... A, it was a phrase that really resonated with me. Um, it wasn't that um, you know that I didn't. I never felt like I was in love with um, alcohol. I just hated reality. Drugs were a big part of my story. Um, I never met a drug I didn't like. I fell in love with a couple of them, and um, and as you know, that never ends well. Um, and it enabled me to blind myself even more to the. Uh, the place that alcohol had in my life. It was there all the time. It was there when the other drugs weren't there. Um, to the extent where I just thought that was just my um, uh, my default position was half-pissed, basically, for 35 years. Uh, I never wanted to be horribly drunk, but I hated being sober, and every time I took measures to avoid being sober, more, more often than not, I ended up being hopelessly drunk. Uh, I didn't get much of a clue. I was one of those people that had to be smacked around the head and uh, lose everything and fall over, which I did. Um, near the end, I had a spectacular week where where I had uh, a car crash. Um, uh, um, I had a car crash. Uh, I got thrown out of the place I was living, got fired from my job. I had uh, a drug overdose, a psychotic breakdown and formed a first-name basis relationship with uh, a couple of cat teams. Um, It was a big week. Um, And I ended up um, in uh, in crisis accommodation, a men's shelter, basically, a Salvation Army men's shelter uh, over in uh, North Melbourne, um, where basically my my life was was saved. And um, the big problem that I had through those years was that um, was that I thought I knew what was going on. I thought I was a terrible person. Um, I knew I had a lot of faults, but I thought that what I had was self-knowledge. And, of course, this is a very dangerous illusion because I had no idea what was really going on. To the extent that, you know, when I got in there, you know, having been persuaded by a couple of reasonably stern um, women at Monash uh, Emergency that I was, um, you know, I was an alcoholic and that it was time I did something about it. Um, you know, I, I ended up in there and I had a counsellor who had to say to me, you have to face some, some facts here, Jeff. You are a 52-year-old, unemployed, homeless alcoholic. And I said, that sounds a bit harsh. <laughs> and um, he said, yes, but it's true, you know. And this was, this was the beginning of me, um, uh, you know, getting some idea of what was going on and insanity. You know, I, I like many of us, um, wasted a lot of time. Wasted a lot of a psychiatrist's time. Well, I explained to him what my problems were, and he nodded wisely and kept his own counsel. Um, 
and I, I would describe myself as mad, and he hated that term. And I said, well, what, you know, what, how would you describe insanity? And he said, well, you know, uh, someone who's truly insane can't deal with life. They cannot deal with, and with, with life on a regular basis. They can't deal with, with life as it is. And I didn't realise at the time, but what he was describing was complete unmanageability. Um, I, I was poured out of this place. Um, you know, I, I had decided I was giving up drinking. I, I got into uh, into a long-term rehab, um, and this was my introduction to, to step two. Uh, I'd been sober a couple of weeks. You had to be sober for a couple of weeks before you went into uh, into support accommodation. And I rocked up, and I met my house uh, my housemate, and. Um, he said, well, you know, we should go to a meeting this Monday night. And he started, he, he just said, oh, he said, this AA stuff, he said, um, you have to get a higher power. It can be anything. He said, I had one bloke, his higher power was a fridge. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, what's happened? <laughs> I'm amongst crazy people. Uh, and, uh, and I had already t- taken offence at, at the suggestion that, that I was crazy. Um, so I had those two thoughts. I had, you know, this thought: I'm surrounded by crazy people. How dare they call me nuts? And the second and more more interesting thought I had was: I wonder what God will think about this. And I thought that was that really took me by surprise because I had been on the run from God since I was about 15. Um, I'm a recovering Presbyterian. <laughs> Catholic joke for you there. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I'd walked away from the church. I don't want to offend any Presbyterians, but I was running from a God who I thought was just insufferably boring and uncool. Um, and, and I walked away. I resigned from the church when I was about 14 or 15, and uh, what I didn't realise was that God had just taken that resignation notice, put it in a side drawer and said, I'll just keep that for later on. Um, and then I get in here and people tell me that... Um, that I have to get a higher power. I, um, um, you know, and and the weird thing was, I didn't have that big a problem with it. I thought it would be a problem. People who knew me said, how the hell did you get on with that? That would have been a huge problem for me because because I'd been one of those people that had been, um, you know, arguing, you know, against the existence of God. I thought that was my um, my intellectual duty as a young man to... Uh, to play the the atheist card, um, and and I so the, the first thing I want to read was that this this was the beginning of um, the beginning of me coming to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. Was I read Bill's story? I read it at Ringwood Railway Station um, in the tiny little big book that's totally anonymous because it's just got a plain blue cover, so no one knew what I was up to. And I read this, you know, um, on, this is on page 12 of the big book, where he's talking about where Ebby's come to visit him. Remember, he's been trying to give up drinking and, you know, he's found out a little bit about it. He's been completely hopeless. He's, he's, he is on the piss, as it were. And Ebby turns up, he thinks they're going to have a, a, a lovely time together because they've drunk together. And Ebby turns up with the astounding and, and for Bill, awful... Uh, uh, announcement that he's got religion and he's not drinking anymore and Bill's going, oh bugger um, or words to that effect uh, and and Bill talks about how his difficulties with coming to grips with the idea of God and Ebby and, and we get to this point where 
my friend suggested what then seemed like a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required. Um, nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Uh, and I just read that and I totally identified with it. I totally identified with so much that, that Bill had said. Um, because I, you know, I had done this. You know, I had shivered in the, you know, the, the, um, the icy intellectual mountains. As I said, I, I thought it was my, um, my duty to, uh, to argue against the existence of God. Um, uh, I suffered the handicap of having um, studied philosophy for two years at university, so I'm a recovering philosopher as well. And if any of you know Steve Martin, he said something along the lines of, you do two years of philosophy, you learn just enough to screw you up for the rest of your life. Um, he didn't use that exact word. but um, And that was the way that I felt. And this was the beginning of me just relaxing and... Um, and realising that it was possible, you know, that, that what I had to do was just open that door a little bit. And, and the, all the, the, the chapter to the agnostics um, and, and in so many other places, it's stressed over and over again that all we really need is a little bit of willingness. We just need to open that door. Bill talks about a broad highway and, uh, and a God who does not make too harsher terms with those who seek him. Now, as I said, that you know, my... My second, my, my second response to, thank you, um, to step two was I bristled because um, as mad as I was, I, I was totally offended um, at the suggestion that I was insane because if I was going to be restored to sanity, that would require me to, um, to admit to being insane. And of course, you know, you have to be truly insane to be standing there after 35 years of drinking and doing insane things day after day after day to go, how dare you suggest that I'm insane? And, um, excuse me, I had to... um, Excuse me. Uh, I had to go back and... um, at look at my behaviour, not not my whole drinking um, drinking life, which, which is just full of the you know the the normal insanity of the of the alcoholic, um, you know, doing things time and time again that I knew weren't <laughs> going to turn out well, but I had no choice about doing them. And I and and I was thinking about this this the other day. I went back to when I had given up um, drinking. You know, when I ended up in the uh, in. Uh, the crisis accommodation for men, and uh, and I'd made a decision to stop drinking, but I had not, you know, I'd not yet joined the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, so my knowledge was a little sketchy, and and there were three, you know, and, and I drank or nearly drank three times um, in there, and uh, uh, you know, my counsellor said. Uh, he said, look, you know, we, we know people don't get this straight away. We usually factor in somebody, you know, packing up a drink early on. And I thought, well, I'll just be obliging. I'll get that one out of the way, uh, which I did. And, you know, the really scary, you know, the, the really scary thing about this is this did not seem insane to me. I just thought, I'll, I'll just, 
I want to be obliging, I want to be a nice guy. I'll get this out of the way. So I got that out of the way. Um, and he just looked at me like, you are just a crazy person. It didn't, it didn't end badly. I just had a couple of drinks. And I went back to him and reported this and uh, suggested that somehow I wasn't powerless over alcohol. And he had to shake his hand and head, his head and say, have you got any idea why you picked up that drink? Have you got any idea why you stopped drinking when you did? And I had to admit that I didn't. And he said, well, there you go. And then, and then it got into you know really scary territory. I had a I had a terrible cough, which of course was caused by a cold and had nothing to do with the fact that I'd smoked two packs of Marlboro a day for 35 years while I was drinking, and uh, and I just couldn't get rid of this cough. Um, and I thought, you know what I need is a little medicinal brandy, that famous dangerous phrase, medicinal brandy. Uh, and and I wasn't going to drink, I just wanted a medicinal brandy, so I rocked over to the Errol Street bottle shop, looking for one of those tiny little bottles, and they didn't have one, and the next one up didn't seem like particularly good value, and um, and then all of a sudden I'm watching, you know, from, as though, you know, from the ceiling I've got no, you know, I cannot explain my thinking processes here, except that I walked out of there with a 40-ounce bottle of, Brandy, which is rather more medicine than I really needed. Fortunately, somebody took that away from me, and uh, otherwise I probably wouldn't be here talking to you. Um, and then, just before I was due to leave there and go into, uh, you know, go into uh, uh, rehab, you had to be two weeks sober. And for some reason, I'd got a bit comfortable in this terrible, terrible place that was, you know, like the next step on from prison or just off the streets and I decided I liked living there. I didn't want to go so I lied. I said, I'm sorry, I can't go yet, I've had a drink. And then I felt guilty about lying so I thought I'd better have a drink. (laughs) So I had a drink. Does any of this sound sane to you at all? (laughs) That's what came to me, you know. So, you know, and I had to start looking back at things like that. And, you know, and and right from the start, right at the end I I had... um, my, my week of horror that, that started those, you know, that, that little period of, of uh, nearly getting into AA started on a day where I had a car crash on the way to work. It was Black Friday, I was reminded of this yesterday. And I had a minor car crash, the car was still, you know, still working, nobody got hurt. And, and I got to work and said, that, look, if you don't believe in Black Friday, have a look at what's happened to my car. And at no stage did I share with them the fact that I had washed down dexedrine, codeine and, um, and valium with about three or four beers for breakfast before I'd gone to work. And I honestly believe that um, it was Black Friday that had caused that and not all the rest of it. So there I was, you know, I'm, I'm in here and, you know, the, the thing about step two is it's, it's a weird step because there's no, it appears there's no action to be taken. It says, we came to believe and... Uh, so I go, well, how am I going to do this step? And, and it's, you know, really, it's, at its essence, it's pretty simple. Uh, my sponsor said, go to where people are talking about God. Go to meetings, you know. Um, and that's what I did. You know, this is the ultimate power of example step for me. You know, I, I went to meetings. I, I learned to shut up and listen. And I heard people talking about a higher power, whether that be AA itself, whether it be good orderly direction, whether it be, you know, God as such, um, um, had uh, clearly had restored them to sanity. So, you know, I, I got this step 
um, from you, you know, and and we had examples this morning. People were talking about, you know, just the, this is even in our, you know, in our preamble when we say this is a fellowship of men and women who, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and this this is what it's about. I learn from you, and possibly, you know, you you can see a person standing here who believes that a higher power can restore them to sanity. Uh, a friend of mine said, just remember, this doesn't say has restored me to sanity. This is, um, this is um, for some of us, quite a long way down, down the road. And, um, but it's, you know, it, it, it was as simple as that. I had to, even if I couldn't at first say yes to God, I had to stop saying no, you know. And, and uh, that honesty, you know, the how, honesty, openness and willingness. And, and I found that I was able to do that um, with your help, you know, over and over again. And so I'd gone back and looked at sanity, and, and I want to I just read a little bit of this because I'm, I'm looking at, at the sanity that I'm after, and it's not, it's not you know, um, I'm insane, I've got a rubber chicken on my head, blah, 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 I want to get rid of the rubber chicken. It's the, it's the insanity of drinking when I know what drinking's going to do. It's the insanity of picking up that first drink after a period of sobriety. And um, <clears throat> it was when I came across the 10th the Step Promises, which say, and we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as though from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react as long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And that was a that was that is just a beautiful you know sort of summary of the sanity that I knew I needed and that I knew I wanted, and that you had taught me was possible, and that all I had to do was follow in your footsteps, do the you know do the steps to the best of my ability, put this program into my life, and that that um, that sanity was there for me and. I don't know about you, but that description of sanity sounds pretty good to me, and it still sounds pretty good to me. Um, as I said, I've been sober for a little while now. Um, I'd hate to, you know, I'd hate to stand here and tell you that I have been restored to sanity, but I sometimes can see it coming down the road towards me, and that's a very happy thought. And I just want to just want to finish um, with the words from the end of. Um, Step two in the 12 and 12. Step two is the rallying point for all of us. Whether agnostic, atheist or former believer, we can stand together on this step. True humility and an open mind can lead us to faith and every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. And that's a lovely thought and a lovely promise. Thanks very much for asking me to share. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.